welcome to the Woman by Definition podcast. I'm Kelly J. This episode, I'm talking to Gary Powell. He's a political activist and a district councillor in Ellsbury, England. A gay rights advocate for nearly 40 years, he strongly opposes the trend to regard surrogacy as an appropriate campaign objective for the modern Western LGBT rights movement. A movement that he feels has gone off the rails in several respects. As a student, he was taught philosophy by the late Baroness Mary Warnock, who chaired the UK inquiry that led to the Human Fertilisation and Embryo Act in 1990. This is part of my Commodifying Human Nature series, and it really goes to examine the global surrogacy trade. Uh, Do enjoy. Okay, so thank you so much, uh, Gary, for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on the programme. Really great to meet you. Um, I've spoken to Jennifer Lau, who I understand you have a good working relationship with, and she's broadly talked about surrogacy as a whole. Um, Can you tell us what is the legal state of play in the United Kingdom at this moment? Right, well, surrogacy is covered by the Surrogacy Arrangements Act of 1985 in the United Kingdom. And, um, and what the Act says is that commercial surrogacy is illegal. Um, and um, um, birth mothers are not allowed to be remunerated on a commercial basis uh, for their services. But something called altruistic surrogacy, and I, I usually call that so-called altruistic surrogacy, is legal in the UK. Um, at the moment, the contracts aren't enforceable which underlines what a minefield surrogacy is, an absolute minefield, legal, um, medical, psychological, financial. Uh, But so-called altruistic surrogacy is legal here, uh, which means that a woman um, can offer to bear um, a child for nine months um, in exchange for what are called reasonable expenses. Now, there's no legal definition of legal of reasonable expenses in law and um, I've heard of figures of 15,000 pounds being quite normal um, 17,000 pounds um, and um, and that's what the uh, the birth mother is paid for for carrying the baby for nine months and that's um, that's legal and um, the reason why I call it um, so-called altruistic surrogacy is because 17,000 pounds or 15,000 pounds for nine months work is more than the minimum wage in the UK. So people are getting remunerated. On top of that, um, birth mothers are entitled to um, statutory maternity pay, um, which is another 5,000 pounds or so on top of the uh, 20, 15, 17, 20,000 pounds. Um, and in addition to that, um, the mother is um, entitled to uh, 90% of their normal pay in their employment for six weeks. So you could add an, at least another 2,000 pounds to that. And the birth mother is entitled to um, a year's maternity leave. So the birth mother in surrogacy, including in so called altruistic surrogacy, is entitled to exactly the same benefits as any other mother carrying her own child who she then looks after 
as a baby. But of course, in surrogacy, the birth mother, tragically, has the baby taken away when he or she is born, but is still entitled to a year's maternity leave, statutory maternity leave and a statutory maternity pay. So the whole package um, could be, uh, you know, £22,000 or so more, plus a year off work. Now, to me, that doesn't look like a situation that wouldn't fall into the category of commercial surrogacy. But that's what we have here. Um, that's the legal position. I'm sorry, I'm speaking a lot, but if I can just add okay. something else to that, that's okay. I'm on a roll. Um, but if I, if I can add something else, um, I tried to find out whether there's been ever, ever been any prosecution or attempted prosecution under the Surrogacy Arrangements Act 1985. And my member of parliament and his office, they, they tried to help me find out. And I, I don't think there's ever been a prosecution under that act. And my MP's office um, couldn't get the details. Um, they weren't, they, the numbers were lumped in with another category. And then I tried to get them through a Freedom of Information Act request and from the Ministry of Justice and that was turned down apparently the information didn't fall within that category. So, but my hunch, and if anybody knows different and can inform me, I'd be really interested to know, but I just think that that act is a paper tiger and that not only is commercial surrogacy going on um, under the guise of altruistic surrogacy in the UK, but I would imagine much more. And mm. I can't see the law being enforced here at all. It's... Mm. Um, it's not as bad a Wild West for surrogacy as California, but it's a Wild West of a kind here. Yeah. Right, two interesting things you said there, which strikes me as very different to the American model. The first one is you referred to uh, the woman as a birth mother and a mother. Um, so on that basis, I have a couple of questions. One, does that mother have rights? Is that genuinely the mother? Is it her egg? Or do we have the sticky situation like they do in America where they basically erase the woman who carries that baby from the entire legal trace of the child? Um, it, it's, uh, the, it used, surrogacy used to just be, just to take the traditional form where it was the birth mother's egg and the um, uh, and sperm provided by um, one of the parents or by a donor. Uh, but normally these days it's gestational surrogacy so that the, the birth mother carries the child, but the embryo is created from um, an egg and uh, a sperm um, out that, that isn't genetically related to the, the birth mother. Um, and um, of course, commercial surrogacy is illegal here in theory, um, but the, um, the contracts in terms of the rights of the woman, um, the contracts aren't enforceable here. And um, that can lead uh, to some complications, but she does sign a contract. And these, this contract is something that I find really painful to consider because really what the woman is doing is um, signing away her reproductive rights. Uh, and uh, if the intended parents, and that's how the, um, uh, the commissioning parents 
are referred to as in, intended parents, commissioning parents. Um, if they uh, if they decide that the the mother should have um, a termination uh, because the the embryo has Down syndrome or, 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 or any any abnormality of any kind, um, they want to be assured that the birth mother is going to go through with that and and agree to the termination. Um, and uh, of course, if people go into surrogacy needing money, and this is one of the big issues, um, that this is the kind of industry that will draw in people who are in some kind of financial need or financial desperation, or indeed women who are under um, coercion and duress from, uh, from husbands. That's another possible scenario. Um, it's perfectly possible that a number of these uh, women um, actually would find it very difficult to go through with a termination. Um, sometimes for faith reasons that happened with a buddhist lady in thailand in the case of baby gammy who yeah. had Down yeah. syndrome and the um intended parents asked her to go through with a termination uh, it's reported and she refused to because of her, her buddhist faith which meant that she ended up um carrying the baby to term and then at least beginning to bring up the baby by herself um, who had down syndrome but um, if somebody is under duress and signs one of these contracts because they need money, um, then um, they find that the intended parents are requesting a termination. That can put an enormous amount of stress on the woman and put her in an appalling moral quandary. And uh, of course, the contract is void if she doesn't carry the baby to term. If she does carry the baby to term, bear in mind the intended parents don't want that baby, and the baby has been created from their genetic material or the genetic material they provided, not the birth mothers. You've got this baby that's born, and you've got a birth mother who might have been economically disadvantaged already, struggling to make ends meet, having to bring up another child, theoretically. And the whole thing is a minefield. And I just think, do you know what? Life is complicated enough, mm. even mm. without these, these, this, these incredibly involved and precarious situations where people are, are, are put in, in potential, potentially very serious moral quandaries, not to mention the children born in that situation. I mean, what, what must it be like to be a baby that's bonded with his or her mother over nine months? The baby doesn't know that that's not their genetic mother. As far as the baby, the embryo is concerned, that's my mother. And then as soon as the baby's born, he or she is taken away from the mother. And we don't even do that to, to dogs. I mean, I don't, I believe that the puppies aren't meant to be taken away from their mothers for eight to 12 weeks, but it seems to be perfectly okay to do this with a human baby. And I think, what is going on? Has this, has our society become so commercialized that we don't, we can't, find basic empathy for women and for children anymore because we want a commercial need satisfied or an emotional need satisfied that we regard as being of such paramount importance mm -hmm. overrides everybody else's rights and everybody else's needs. So I looked through Hansard in the um, 
sort of looking at surrogacy because I kind of remember um, very academic conversations and I must have been what in my mid-teens so I sort of remember like who is the mother who is the father what do you call this person and and it was very much the whole conversation was very much about the people's right to be parents come what may and there wasn't I don't recall any discussion about the children um, because we seem to be in this time where as long as you love someone enough, apparently that is enough. And I can tell you having four children who need food and water and so many other things, it's not enough just to love somebody. Um, but, and also the, the mother, the person who carries that baby was not given as much, you know, except for linguistic sort of stuff. So, have you found in the activism that you do, uh, who is the least considered component of this deal? Is it, is it always the baby? Well, it's very difficult. It's, it's a toss-up between the baby and the birth mother. And, uh, I mean, we don't know. It obviously depends on the specific situation um, because um, some birth mothers um, suffer a lot more and have more complications than others. Mm. And it's not just medical complications because all surrogacy pregnancies are high-risk pregnancies. Um, so there are there are high, there's a higher medical risk. I, I believe, I mean, I, uh, I I believe a pregnancy is a risky business anyway. But uh, having a, a, a carrying a um, a child that doesn't contain any genetic material of your own increases the um, uh, the risks, the medical risks. Mm. Uh, and also having strong hormone injections um, multiplies that risk. And there's evidence that there are complications after the birth years later. Um, there's, uh, there are at least anecdotal reports of, um, of women falling ill. Um, I mean, women can die in the process of surrogacy. It's a, it's a dangerous, dangerous business. Uh, but it's very difficult to know, it's very difficult to know what the experience of the baby is. Now, the, the baby also um, suffers in surrogacy pregnancies. Uh, the risk of complications for the baby is higher. I believe preterm birth is more likely, lower birth weight. Um, so, uh, but there's the whole psychological question of what it is like for a baby to be separated from her mother uh, immediately at birth, something yeah. we don't even yeah. do with, with animals. And um, we're, we will have um, the testimony of children who've come about via surrogacy um, soon there are there are already some people giving accounts um in these early days but now that surrogacy is more popular um we at some stage we'll have more testimonies from people what that experience was like for them um whether they at a young age they feel that they they they've lacked something they've lost something or whether they feel that they're wounded there's some kind of primal wound from having been separated from their their birth mother and uh, you, one thing you mentioned that's very, very interesting, um, Kelly J, was you mentioned the, this notion of the right to be a parent. And there's a big emphasis in the, um, uh, in, in, in the campaign to legalise surrogacy on the right to be a parent, <clears throat> particularly in the LGBT plus community. You know, there's this concept that, there's, um, that, that gay male couples have a right to be a parent and that surrogacy is a very important route for them. Um, in terms of becoming parents. Well, I'm a, a gay man. I've been a gay activist 
since about 1980. And, um, it's, and, and equal rights for, for gay, lesbian, bisexual people, something very, very important to me, has always been important. But I don't think um, that this should have been bolted on to the gay rights movement, because one group cannot possibly claim um, a right that comes at the expense of somebody else's basic human rights or the basic human rights of other groups, such as women and of uh, children. So there's, there's no right to be a parent. And I'm sure we all know people. Um, and I, I was a teacher for most of my career. So I came across a few. We all know people where the thought crosses our mind, well, actually, you probably should never have become a parent. I think there are lots of examples. So I don't think, I don't think there, is, there isn't a universal right to be a parent. And um, the other very interesting thing, I mentioned having four children yourself, uh, Kelly J, and I'm sure you're you're very aware indeed of, of the stress, physical and emotional stress in bringing up four children. And there was a case, a High Court, uh, Supreme Court case, uh, recently. Um, the uh, report, the judgment was handed down on the first of April, very appropriate date, mm -hmm. uh, by Lady Hale of the um, anti-Brexit prorogation fame. Um, who um, uh, who presents herself as a feminist. And uh, as the president of the Supreme Court, she's retired now, um, she, she gave this judgment, which awarded over half a million pounds to a lady um, who had suffered very, very sadly and tragically, um, suffered um, a clinical negligence from a hospital trust, which meant she couldn't carry her own children. And um, Lady Hale as president and uh, the, the Supreme Court um, uh, upheld her claim for over half a million pounds to pursue surrogacy, commercial surrogacy arrangements in California. Now, she, the, the lady had already been awarded over half a million pounds for her, her medical damage and the harm she'd been caused by negligence. So she'd had that but she'd said that she wanted to have four children. And that this, she, she says that she wanted to have four children because she came from a large family and her partner did. And that um, the medical negligence had meant that she now wasn't gonna be able to have four of her own children. So instead, um, she wanted to pursue commercial surrogacy arrangements in California and um, uh, arrive at a family of four children. Well. The, the, and um, the uh, High Court turned this down originally, and they offered her £74,000 instead, on top of the half million uh, in uh, compensation. They offered her £74 million to pursue two so-called altruistic surrogacy pregnancies in the UK. Now, it shows how, uh, how non-commercial it is when you need £74,000 to pursue two of the surrogacy arrangements that are legal in the UK. Well, she turned that down um, because she wanted four children. Uh, she, she actually managed to freeze um, to some of her eggs. And so um, it was likely she was going to be able to, um, through via surrogacy, uh, arrive at two pregnancies of children who were biologically related to her, her husband. However, she wanted two additional children, 
who would have to arise as a result of donor eggs with her husband's um, insemination. Um, so um, she turned down the offer of two um, um, altruistic surrogacies. She took it to the High Court, uh, sorry, the Court of Appeal, and the Court of Appeal upheld her claim and said, no, this has to be paid so she can pursue these four commercial surrogacies in California. And then it, the hospital trust took this to the Court of Appeal and the Court of Appeal, up, uh, so the, the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court upheld the Court of Appeal. So Lady Howe decided that this lady should have over half a million pounds specifically to pursue commercial surrogacy in California. Now, a couple of problems with this. This one is that um, commercial surrogacy is illegal in the UK. Uh, two is that this is taxpayers' money. This is NHS money. Mm. And for, fi uh, for 500,000 pounds, you could conduct 100 knee or hip operations for people in pain on NHS waiting lists. So instead of the money going in that direction, it's going to compensate somebody so that they can uh, pursue commercial surrogacy. Now, this is something that's illegal in the UK. So the Supreme Court under Lady Hale has awarded money to a claimant mm. so that she can pursue something abroad that is illegal in the UK because it was deemed by the legislators to be unethical. Um, two of the Supreme Court judges dissented and they said that it's not permissible um, for a claim to be upheld that would involve encouraging conduct abroad that would be illegal in the UK. But because the majority of the Supreme Court judges upheld it, then now she's going to be given half a million pounds of taxpayers' money to pursue four surrogacy pregnancies, including with um, two donor eggs, in uh, California. Now, this is somebody who has been compensated because she has permanent disability include, and has suffered psychological trauma. So the third point I would make is, how wise is it of those judges to encourage a woman with disabilities caused by the negligence, including psychological um, trauma, to pursue for pregnancies abroad that would be illegal in the UK. I mean, the whole thing is like something out of Monty Python. It is un absolutely unthinkable. So now we've got Supreme Court judges making the law, not even waiting for our elected democratic representatives to make laws. They just create the laws themselves. I think what's also perplexing about this particular case is that uh, the woman suffered some medical trauma and now she's willing. So I think this is this is the success of the pro surrogacy lobby, that this woman hasn't considered for a moment that what she's asking four other potential women to do is actually quite risky for them. So to, to resolve her medical issues and her feeling of, I don't know, trauma, she's going, she's quite willing to risk traumatizing other women. I, I find, I mean, it, it, you know, I, I can almost find it for, forgivable or understandable that people really are desperate for children, that they would almost do anything. But that's when the state comes in because the state is not supposed to be an instrument to facilitate the emotional desires of the populace. 
it's to do what's right. Um, so what, what's the consequence of the Lady Hale then? Is, does, is, is that free for all that we can all go to Ukraine and impregnate poor women, women abroad? Well, this, this, is, um, this, is, this applies to compensation claims against the NHS. So a precedent has been set now. And unless there's primary legislation um, to stop this, um, anybody who, who makes, a, who's an un, un, very unfortunate and tragically suffered um, this kind of injury as a result of medical negligence and wants to have children via surrogacy, there's, there's got a precedent now and claims, mm -hmm. further claims can be made against the NHS. But the, you know, we, of course, we, we're in this pandemic situation. We know that we're going to take a massive economic hit in this country as a result of that. And our NHS service, excellent though it is, has been struggling um, to meet the demand for some time. And now there are going to be extra claims on it for something to pursue something abroad. We call it surrogacy tourism, actually, to pursue oh, surrogacy yeah. tourism abroad, Ukraine or, or, or uh, California, that would be um, illegal, that would be illegal here. And um, there's, a, I wonder, you know, talking about the, um, the, the, um, uh, the woman who, who was, uh, whose claim was successful there, um, I would a number of people are of the view and uh, very sincerely of the view, look, um, this belongs to a free society. You know, a free society, you can make contracts. And um, if a woman um, freely enters into a contract and accepts remuneration in return for um, surrogacy services, then that's all absolutely fine. And, and she would know what the risks are and what kind of risks she would be carrying. And she would go into that with, with open eyes. But it's not as simple as that, because I think I, I know from, um, from hearing the testimonies of a number of women who've, who've been surrogates. And I would really recommend to all your viewers to watch the documentaries by Jennifer Lahl, or LAHL, on, um, which are on Amazon Prime, the most recent one um, uh, called um, uh, Big Fertility, it's all about the money. And uh, there she, she interviews some of the, uh, the women who have been through surrogacy and listen to their experiences, a number of the women aren't here to be interviewed anymore because they they have uh, they've succumbed um, to uh, the medical stresses of uh, the surrogacy experience very sadly um, but I think a number of women go into this um, not really knowing how risky it is uh, believing all the glamorous stories we read in the magazines um, other people think look people are, are accepting quite large sums of money in commercial surrogacy. So they're being remunerated and compensated for their risk. Um, and a lot of intended parents wouldn't really be aware of the level of risk involved and haven't really thought it through very much. But I do compare this with the sale of, of human organs, like the sale of kidneys. And there are some people, you know, libertarian, in a libertarian spectrum of politics, who, who even think, well, you know, kidney sales should be legal. If somebody wants to, if somebody needs money and they, wants to, they want to sell one of their kidneys to somebody else, then that, that should be okay. But actually, um, the sale of human organs is banned globally, apart from in Iran. Iran is the only country where the sale of organs is, um, is permitted, uh, under the law anyway. 
Well, yes, quite. And I, I think we've got to look at this parallel between surrogacy and, and human organ sales, because just as with surrogacy, it's people on low incomes who will be drawn to sell their mm -hmm. kidneys to somebody else. It's not wealthy people who are carrying babies for other people out of great kindness. It's people who need money. And it's not wealthy people, I'm sure, in Iran who are selling their organs to the poor. And this is where we have to say, look, it's all, we want to live in a free society, but there comes a point where surely we need to draw a line. Do we really want to be living in a society where the poor are selling their kidneys or renting out their wombs in order to survive and doing that unwillingly? Um, because one of, the, one of the things about freedom is, and Melissa, the, the uh, feminist Melissa Farley, Dr. Melissa Farley, um, shared this thought with me, and I thought this, that's, she's absolutely right. Um, one of the crucial things about freedom is you've not only got to have the freedom to do something, but in order for it to be free, you've got to have the freedom not to do something as well. So that applies to surrogacy. It applies to prostitution as well. If you, if you want to engage in prostitution freely, to be free, you've actually got to be free enough to be able to say, no, I don't have to do this and I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And the same with human organs. You know, you might say there's freedom involved in, in selling your, your, your kidney, but um, is that really what you want to do or have you been forced to do that by your dire circumstances or by somebody in your family putting pressure on you? So yeah. that, I think that parallel about the ethics of this is really important to underscore. It, I think that, so I, I talked to Tony and uh, who was a surrogate and I just keep coming back to the same thing uh, on egg donation. I think people just think you're helping someone get pregnant. I don't think people think beyond that, that actually what they're doing is their egg is going to be impregnated somewhere and then planted in somebody's body and therefore what is born is half of their DNA. I, I just think that people just think they're helping. And I don't think anybody gets to the point about the baby. I don't, I don't, I, I just, I can't quite get my head around it that certainly anyone that's been pregnant uh, would ever uh, employ a surrogate. And I use the word employ because language around all of this is so inadequate you know we we use mother we can't use mother just data gestational just commercial surrogate all these words just hide the fact that a woman's body is used to grow a human who she is never allowed a relationship with yeah and of course she doesn't know the the birth mother doesn't know how she's going to feel once the baby has been born and people enter into these contracts sometimes in a very detached way thinking I need the money it's somebody else's baby but actually I don't know what it's like to carry a baby for, for nine months obviously but I would imagine that there's quite a lot of natural bonding going on between the mother and the developing baby and of course we hear of, of, um, of birth mothers feeling grief when the baby is taken away 
and of course you know the other children as well seeing that there's a, a baby growing in mummy's tummy and then suddenly that baby's not there anymore and 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 there's there's indications that the, the other family members feel grief as well that somebody isn't there who should be there so a number of these birth mothers actually feel really and then you see from Jennifer Lyle's films which are excellent um, a number of these the birth mothers feel a great deal of grief and um, and also wondering for years on end years later wondering how the children are you know mm. how are they being looked after are they happy do they really you know would they like a connection with me somehow um, if they can ever find me you know and um, so this is um, th th that needs to be borne in mind as well and there is another awful thing that happens sometimes and you see it both in commercial surrogacy and in so-called um, uh, altruistic surrogacy where of course you know at the beginning of every friendship or relationship people present themselves in the best light and they they sh we all do it we showcase ourselves you know we want to present ourselves in the best light and make a good first impression with people and as time you might think oh that's a you know really nice couple and you know i'd like to work with them and i would like to carry their baby for them and etc etc and they seem marvelous and they want you to comply and as time progresses you actually find out sometimes these people aren't very nice sometimes they start treating you badly and they start making demands and you start to think what kind of life is this child going to have after i pass her on to those dreadful people so and that is a quandary because then you have moral moral responsibility you've carried that baby and you've passed that baby on to people you don't like and who you don't think are going to be fit and proper parents and of course in commercial surrogacy we don't know what on earth happens to these children when they're taken from california back to their home countries you know who are they going to be passed on to where are they going to end up what are they going to be doing mm -hmm. and you know this really smacks of tra child trafficking yeah there yeah. aren't proper controls on this at all and you know that in the moral sphere there is so much that can go wrong and the legal sphere as well and the medical sphere mm. and there's something you mentioned you know how the child children might feel there's actually a term uh, genealogical bewilderment and um, it applies to people uh, sometimes who've been adopted as well. And it's people who have um, come into the world via um, procedures such as surrogacy. And they don't know really where they've come from biologically. They haven't got a, a link, a psychological yeah. sense of a biological link to their parents. And it, and it leads to a, a, what has been termed genealogical bewilderment. And, not really feeling as though you've got a good foothold in the in the world and that's why a number of people who have been adopted then look very hard for their biological parents because there's that sense of genealogical bewilderment and wanting to overcome that, that feeling that you've carried all those years and that's something also that, that could well weigh on the uh, on the, the psyches of the mm -hmm. children produced by surrogacy but we'll know once more more of those children start to give their accounts of what their lives are like and and whether you know and what they feel about their birth mother whether they ever think about that birth mother and how she might be whether 
you know, whether she was well at the end of the procedure, whether she was properly remunerated, whether she was given health support if she fell ill um, during the pregnancy or afterwards, you know, and there's, there's all that possibility of guilt, you know, how have I come into the world? This woman who's been paid to carry me, um, is she okay? Uh, am I responsible for her falling ill or, or dying? Um, lots, of, lots of questions. It goes, but you just to look at what we see, especially in the gay media, the LGBT plus media, when these days, and I, as a gay man, I, I support um, gay parenting. I, I support um, same-sex couples raising children in proper circumstances, not via surrogacy, never via surrogacy, but you know, by adopting children. Um, and in the UK, uh, that doesn't involve financial transactions. I know it can in the United States. In the UK, it doesn't. Um, adopting children or looking after children in, you know, as foster parents, um, you know, I, I, I support that. But in the, in the LGBT plus press, this is something that really does bother me. And as, as a gay activist, um, that surrogacy is coming to be viewed as, uh, because of the gay media pushing this so hard, and because of big fertility pushing this so hard, that surrogacy is being pushed as an LGBT plus right. Well, we all know from the gender extremism campaigns, which is another story, but we all know what happens when the LGBT start pushing issues these days, everybody bows down and everybody caves, practically everybody caves in. And it can be dangerous not to cave in. You can even lose your job. You can suffer vilification, misrepresentation, bullying. So the LGBT plus lobby, which is not representative of the gay and lesbian community by any stretch of the imagination, the LGBT plus lobby is, is pushing um, surrogacy as a gay right. And, that's one of the uh, prongs that was used in uh, New York recently when Governor Cuomo uh, managed to legalize, um, to his great shame, uh, commercial surrogacy in New York State. And you read about surrogacy in gay, in LGBT plus publications, and you read that this celebrity couple are having a baby and how wonderful it all is. And you think, oh, let's, let's find out where this baby's coming from. And there's no mention of surrogacy. The word surrogate, not only is the, you wouldn't expect the birth mother to be identified by name, but there's not even a reference to a woman being involved at all in that procedure. There's no reference to surrogacy. It's, and we're all supposed to pretend this baby has come about purely as a result of these two people in their relationship with no other relevant interaction at all. Mm. So this is the erasure of motherhood and it's the erasure of women, apart yeah. from everything mm. else. And the LGBT plus community is being exploited by the multi-billion dollar global big fertility industry. Um, just as Big Pharma is, is exploiting the LGBT plus community with their gender extremism movement, Big Fertility is doing this with surrogacy. And uh, they're just jumping onto the coattails of the gay rights movement, something that gay and lesbian people over the past few decades have worked really hard to bring about basic human rights and equalities for gay and lesbian people. And now it's turned into something completely different. 
um, gender issues have displaced practically everything else. Mm. And uh, big industries can exploit this movement to for their own ends, as long as they pump enough money mm. in the direction of, of uh, the influential people. Yeah, I mean, it's become demands over rights, to be quite frank. Uh, can I just go back to something that you were sure. talking about, about the um, about the bonding process and the baby and the mother and, and how the mother must grieve? And you sort of think, of course, you know, whether you're a theist or whether you're uh, an anti-theist or an atheist and, and just think everything is, is evolution. It took a really, really long time for mammals to reach this place where we have to look after our young um, and it's essential and the woman's body does certain things and releases certain chemicals so the baby doesn't die you know it doesn't happen to the dad he doesn't give birth he doesn't have breasts he doesn't feed the baby but these things have been refined over a millennia for us to then sort of come along and, and sort of almost say it doesn't matter is just the most obscene arrogance, number one, and really foolish because you can't conquer nature without there being some pretty big bite back. Yes, and it's, mean, it's coming, isn't it? Well, and this is, this is the worry. And when you were, when you were explaining that, the, the concept that came to mind was, you know, um, a, a big, this is a big scientific experiment and a big social experiment and a big psychological experiment. And um, the problem with the, this kind of experimentation where we don't know what the outcome is going to be is that experiments usually take place in very uh, defined conditions in laboratories. Um, they're not just dissipated globally in a very aggressive way where we just, we are, we're sure everybody, that this is the right thing to do. We don't brook any dissent. We impose it. Uh, we bully people if they don't conform. And then we sit back and watch to see what's going to happen. And um, obviously, as human beings, we're, we're concerned about our fellow human beings and about the future and the well-being of our civilization. And um, when you've got experimentation of this nature and on this scale going on, um, it gives one very serious pause for thought, as you yeah. say. And I think, I mean, I, I'm politically, I'm a, a conservative. I don't really fit into the mainstream gay rights movement. I used to, I used to be very much on the left. I'm, I'm not anymore changed my mind about that. Um, but um, as, as a conservative um, activist, um, I want things to change. I support human rights. I support equality, but not at the expense of other people's human mm. rights. And also, I think change should come more slowly, more organically. When I was younger, um, I wouldn't have asserted that. I wanted radical change, immediate. Yeah. But as time has gone on, I've realized it's actually better for the reasons you mentioned, that the change comes about carefully and organically and sensibly, and not because of a political fad as well. I mean, I looked at the, I read through the Supreme Court judgment from Lady Hale, um, and uh, where 
she was granting this half a million pound compensation paid for by the taxpayer for something abroad that's illegal here. And, uh, and I thought, well, what has motivated that? Lady Hale speaks on feminism. She presents herself as a feminist. Um, how does a feminist square um, what happens to vulnerable women in the process of surrogacy, not just, not just commercial surrogacy, but all times mm. of surrogacy can go wrong, with, with her, her belief system. That's something that only Lady Hale would be able to answer, of course. But I thought, you know, she did, she did make quite a, a mention of, um, of same-sex couples in her judgment and in the, the change in the, the concept of the family and what constitutes the family. And I thought, do you know what? This is, this, it felt to me, my own personal opinion, it just felt to me as though this, this was a political decision. Mm. It's a political decision. So I'm um, familiar with a few judicial reviews that have gone on in the sort of the fight against um, poisoning children's minds with transgender ideology in schools and some of the less legal <laughs> aspects of um, erasing women's spaces and girls' spaces. And you talked about Lady Hale, and one of the things that has been captured is the Ministry of Justice. And it's by this thing called, I think it's called the Equality Bench, or it's, it's basically a guidance that pretty much centers LGBT. And it's this whole new guidance. And when I recently went to the High Court myself, um, this guy was wearing a rainbow lanyard and I said I didn't feel that that was appropriate in a, in a, a clerk of the court wearing any politicized symbol. It should be a given, <laughs> should be a given that you, you think people should have the same rights, right? Yeah. If you're working in the Ministry of Justice, I don't think you have to advertise that because what that says to me is that you don't care about women anyway. But is there any way for organizations such as yours to challenge the root of the Lady Hale? Or is it, it's kind of, is it done now? Has it gone as, as far as it, don't go to the European Court of Human Justice because I think they're all over the surrogacy. Um, but where's, where can you go from here? And what do you think the ramifications of that judgment will be? Well, um, in terms of challenging it, I, I'm not a lawyer, uh, but um, the Supreme Court replaced the House of Lords. And um, my belief is that that is it. You get the Supreme Court and there's nothing above the Supreme Court. So that is it. So the only way that that could be rectified in the, this particular judgment couldn't be changed, I don't think. But in the future, to stop um, outrages of this kind, anti-democratic outrages of this kind happening again, there would probably need to be primary legislation in Parliament. And you, um, you talk about institutional policy capture and by the uh, gender extremists in the LGBT plus movement, which is appalling. I mean, you know that the harm that that's doing to lesbian and gay children at school, gender non-conforming children who are being encouraged to believe that they're trans rather than lesbian or gay mm -hmm. and causing, you know, uh, no end of crises, um, we, we, you know, we, we, we've seen this kind of institutional capture going on um, again and again. And um, I think it, this all augurs very badly for the future. And, um, and I'm a member of the Conservative Party. Uh, I'm, I'm concerned about 
the, the, the Conservative Party seems to be the only kind of large mainstream party holding out against some of the more extreme demands of the LGBT plus movement. However, I'm also seeing signs that um, the LGBT plus movement is, is making progress with um, uh, ideological capture of sections of the Conservative Party as well. And that is not a good development. So um, where, what could happen in the future? Well, we need a grassroots campaign of people who have had enough of this, this, these political outrages and had enough of the abuse of women and had enough of the abuse of children and had enough of the abuse of gay and lesbian people and the abuse of freedom of speech by a uh, bullying LGBT plus mm -hmm. movement that doesn't represent lesbian and gay people anymore. So we actually, and, and not only that, there are other things going on politically um, where people are feeling other mainstream institutions like the media have been captured in a very unhelpful way. And I think there needs to be, you know, there needs to be a grassroots pushback against that. And I'm sensing that is happening in working class communities, which is the community, one of the, the kind of community I come from. I come from a working class background. Me too. Um, and you too, uh, Kelly J. And um, I think I'm seeing um, in working class communities across the UK, people are starting to get very angry about some of these outrages. And when people know that their, their tax money is meant to go to the NHS to pay for knee and hip operations, is being diverted towards illegal commercial surrogacy, or at least illegal in the UK, um, uh, via surrogacy tourism abroad, I think people are gonna start getting quite angry about it. So it's really letting other people know by making um, programs such as this one, uh, your, your program here, Kelly J, which I'm very, very grateful for. Thank you for, your, for the interest you're taking in this and, and for your concern about the issue. And, more people watching programs like this, more people watching um, Jennifer Lyle's documentaries on Amazon Prime and spreading the word and being courageous enough, if you can, to speak out. I mean, some people are terrified of losing their jobs and it would have an appalling uh, impact on their children, their families if they lost their job. But if you can speak out and express dissent, do so. Yeah. Because it actually soul to keep these things pent up and to feel I, I wasn't courageous enough to speak out so I think it's really good for people's soul to speak out against this kind of thing I do too I I do fear with well I think with the with surrogacy I think you can very much if you talk about the women that carry and the babies I think it's potentially a less controversial thing to talk about but I can't help feeling that the two things are very well connected. And that is the disassociation of our bodies and who we are. And I talk about that, you know, I'm an atheist, so it's not some sort of theological dogma where I feel that I'm somehow like the Trinity, but um, that I am my body. And also I think what we've done is we've divorced motherhood from mothers and I'm a big advocate, <laughs> I'm much the annoyance I'm sure of many of the people that watch me, of saying that mothers are better mothers 
than fathers. That isn't to say that I don't think that same-sex couples should adopt, because I absolutely do. I think you give a loving home. It doesn't really matter about the makeup of your family if you can provide a stable, loving home to a child. However, uh, you can't create a brand new one just to do that when there's lots of them really, really needing your love up and down sort of homes across the country. That's a really, I mean, that there are so many children in need of, of adoption, so many children in need of, of loving families. And I've, I've seen, um, I mean, the whole issue of, of who should be able to adopt children. I do, I do as I said, I, I support um, same-sex parenting. I support gay marriage. I campaign for gay marriage, um, even though um, some of the people who've been campaigning against my work try to present me in a completely different light. Okay, um, they do. No con yes, no con connection with the truth. Um, but, um, and I think, um, I, but the, the role of a woman in, in bearing a child is absolutely essential, of course, and that needs to be acknowledged. And um, there are many children in need of adoption. And I, I have a couple of friends who adopted two children from local authority care. And those children's lives were absolutely transformed. I think it was two, in two years, those children were both very timid because of their prior experiences. They were, their lives were transformed and they were, they were gonna be given, they were given a really good loving home. And um, of course it's a, it's a complicated situation because you, you look at a situation where a, um, a, a child is being brought up by a heterosexual couple, another situation where a child is being brought up by same-sex male couple. I mean, um, I, I think people's own qualities as a potential parent um, weigh very, uh, have, uh, carry a great deal of weight in this, this situation. I mean, there will be some women who, who shouldn't really have become mothers and they're not really fit to have become mothers because of their for one reason or another. In those cases, you know, a man who brings up the same child might do a much better job than that, that woman, you know. So it's, it's all a very complicated thing. But what I, what I think is really important is that we don't treat, we don't objectify women in this way in surrogacy and, and commercialize women and children and uh, objectify and instrumentalize women in this process. The same way that we'd be instrumentalizing somebody who we were paying to to give us one of their kidneys, um, there comes a line. There comes a time where society has to draw a line and say, "Well, look, do you know what? We don't really want to be living in the kind. We don't really want the kind of society where poor people are having to sell their kidneys or having to uh, bear other people's children." both of those carrying serious risks to themselves. And I mean, and really there are things that could be done that would help to discourage people from taking these desperate measures when they are, um, when, they're, when they're financially needy. And I mean, one of the things that I, I support um, is um, universal basic income, which is fairly unusual for a conservative, but not very unusual. Milton Friedman, Charles Murray, both advocate a universal basic income so that people know they're not going to be destitute. You know, even if you leave a terrible job or you're being exploited or you can't bear anymore or you're suffering mental health problems, 
you know, there's no, no question of having to apply for benefits and wait for weeks, that if people know that there is a safety net that they won't fall through, that they have a universal basic income, ultimately, unless they get themselves into loads of debt, so it's not a perfect vision, but ultimately, they can say, no, I can get by. So we come back to what Dr. Melissa Farley said to me, you know, to really be free, you've not only got to be free enough to say yes to what you're doing, you've got to, you've got to be free enough to not have to do what you're saying yes to. And I, I think a basic income would help, but that's mm. not going to happen probably anytime soon. And that's another, that's a political point that maybe is out slightly outside the scope of our discussion. That sounds good to me. Um, now that we've, now that we've un uncovered your inner lefty, I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to say thank you so much, Gary, for the work you're doing. Um, I will make sure that people know how to get in touch with you, both in the description um, and on my website. But thank you very much for talking to me today. It's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Kelly J. It's been a pleasure to be on your program. Mm -hmm.